You're listening to episode 81 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. I'm joined on the podcast today by a friend and writing coach named Chad Allen. I've had the opportunity of working with him on a few occasions. He joins me to talk about what I think can be one of the most neglected components of a writing project, and that's the concept or the hook. It's one of the things that probably gets us writing in the first place, the thing we may think we have from the very beginning, the idea. But as Chad and I explore, that idea is something that has to be continually refined and oftentimes is helped in that refining process by some outside perspective and outside expertise. I think this will be a really helpful episode for anybody who's working on a writing project, trying to improve their writing. I know I got a lot out of it and I think you will too. As always, thanks for listening. Well, joining me on the podcast today is Chad Allen. He's a full-time writer, editor, speaker, and writing coach. Uh, I've actually had the privilege of working with him before and recommend his services highly. His background is in the traditional publishing industry, where he spent over 20 years as an editor, an acquisitions editor, and the last seven of it as an editorial director for Baker Books, something I hope to be able to cover in our conversation He's also the creator of Book Proposal Academy and Book Camp, both online learning environments to to continue improving as an author and also within the publishing industry. So, Chad, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, Friend, I know we've talked many times, but uh, a great opportunity just to be able to share you with the Pastor Writer audience as well. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. This is my pleasure. Thanks, Chase. Well, uh, there's a lot I want to be able to get into, and uh, obviously we're going to be spending some time today talking about uh, book concepts and publishing, but I always think it's helpful to get a little context for how you got into the industry. I don't think uh, many of us grew up saying, I want to be an editor or an acquisitions editor. So uh, what did that? What did it look like? Well, maybe at the very beginning for you to be interested in writing and reading, where did that come from? Well, you know, I mean, like many of us, I, I grew up, my, my mom read to me regularly, and uh, I, I became kind of a book guy um, really early on. And, uh, and that only increased, especially in college, when I started taking English uh, classes and learning about this, this world of literature. That's where I discovered C.S. Lewis. Um, so, uh, and then that's just continued, you know, I, I always have, I always have a few books that I'm working through. Sometimes, sometimes I'm still reading a physical book. Sometimes I'm listening to a book, um, but I always have a few books going. Well, how did you get started as an editor then? So where did that take off as an actual occupation for you? Yeah. So, uh, so I was a big C.S. Lewis fan, as I alluded, and, um, I remember watching this movie called Shadowlands. Have you heard of it, Chase? No, I'm not familiar with it. Shadowlands. Well, Shadowlands is it stars Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger, and it's about it's basically about the love life of C.S. Lewis. You should definitely mm. you should definitely watch it. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the movie, Joy Davidman, C.S. Lewis, the woman who would become C.S. Lewis's wife, uh, has a son, um, and she actually had two sons in real life, but she in the movie she just has one. And so I remember watching the credits. This is when I was, you know, maybe a freshman, sophomore in college. And, uh, and I saw that the little boy's name was Douglas Gresham. And I knew that, that Lewis and, and Davidman had long since passed, but I wondered about that little, that little boy. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't Google back then. It was Yahoo or Ask Jeeves or something like that. But I ended up finding Douglas Gresham's email address. And that began a correspondence that lasted, 
uh, well over a year until I eventually ended up flying and going over there to live with him in Ireland for about eight months. Uh, the reason that is relevant is because Doug Gresham is the general consultant to the company that owns all the rights to C.S. Lewis's work. So anytime a new adaptation, an abridgment, uh, a book that quotes Lewis extensively, a compilation, um, any kind of book like that comes across his desk before it goes to press. So I volunteered for him uh, there in Ireland and I would see these proofs come across his desk. In fact, he would ask me for my opinion about what, you know, what do you think of this? Um, and uh, that's where I was exposed to uh, to this this whole other world behind books, you know. And it was when I first realized there are these people behind the scenes that have a huge impact on how books look when they go out into the marketplace. And I was instantly hooked. I was like, I gotta be a part of this. So, uh, yeah, so that's really what got me interested in editing and in publishing. And, um, you know, that was well over 20 years ago now. So I've had a long career in the industry all because of that experience. Okay. That, yeah, that is fascinating. I had no idea that part of your story. So basically like everything from people like me that you now have to read is just, you know, where the bar is much higher because you started with Lewis, right? So, uh, I can imagine how that would sort of set your expectations for everything that now comes across at your desk. Uh, you're trying to get it a little bit, but maybe a little closer to where you started. Um, what, what? What did that look like to move through the publishing industry and then maybe get into um, what your role was with Baker for those last few years before? Of course, we'll get to the coaching you're doing now here in just a minute. Sure. Yeah. So I started out, let's see, I, I got back from Ireland and I kind of bebopped around for a while and ended up at a, a small publisher in Lancaster, Pennsylvania called Starburst. And I don't think Starburst exists anymore, but um, it, at its zenith, Starburst had seven employees. I mean, it was a very small operation. So my my beginning in publishing was not very glamorous at all. I was packing boxes. I was taking phone calls. Um, I did create some indexes in the early days. Like people don't think about the fact that indexes actually have to be created. Well, I remember doing some indexes in those early days, doing some proofreading, eventually started getting into copy editing. Um, and I worked at Starburst for a few years and then moved to uh, Baker here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, and was what they call a project editor. Project editors in that environment oversee the copy editing and proofreading processes. A few years into that, I became an acquisitions editor. Acquisitions editors bring books under contract and develop manuscripts with authors. That's their role. Um, the last seven years of my time at Baker, I was the editorial director of the Baker Books division, which meant that I still did a lot of acquisitions work, but I also um, oversaw three or so other acquisitions editors who were acquiring for the for the Baker Books division. So it was acquiring plus sort of strategy and leadership uh, there at the end. Yeah, we've had some Baker book authors on before too, and a great work. I'm always impressed with the work they were doing. One of the things that, you know, I found most interesting in doing coaching with you was that experience through acquisitions, because sometimes when we think about writing and particularly a writing coach, we just think about the craft side of it. Um, what got you interested in being a coach coming out of this role as an editor and acquisitions editor? What was that need and that thing that moved you out of the sort of traditional office into self-employment and coaching and, and finding clients? That's a big transition. What, what spurred that? 
Yeah, well, a couple of things sort of converged into my decision to to transition. Um, one is that about five years before the transition, I I I started blogging. I just I you know in my role at Baker, and it, and this is true for any editor at a reasonably sized publisher, you end up saying no a lot. You know, you you say no to a lot of proposals, you say no to a lot of queries, you just end up saying no a lot. And I yeah, it kind of got old to be honest with you. It became frustrating, and I was like, you know what? I'd like to serve writers generally. So I started this blog um, about. Yeah, at that time, it was about five years ago. Now it's been six and a half years ago. And um, and that blog, um, it, it kind of took off. I, I and That's what led me to create the Book Proposal Academy course. That course had a, a really good um, registration rate and continues to. And uh, I just one thing led to another. I, I thought, you know, I really feel like I'm being called to serve writers as a full-time writing coach. And so, yeah, it was about a year and a half ago as we record this that that I made that transition. Yeah, I really personally believe in coaching a lot. I've mentioned on the podcast, um, I sort of have a pastoral coaching relationship. So an, an older pastor that I do bi-weekly calls with. Um, through some of the writing process before, I've had Mick Silva on, who I did some uh, coaching with. You and I have worked together in some coaching sessions um, maybe you could talk a little bit about why coaching, why you think coaching is valuable for a writer and maybe even beyond just the craft side of writing. I know a lot of the coaching you're doing is around book proposals and the publishing process and platform. That may not be areas where people think about a coach helping. Um, why is that an important place for a coach to help an author or writer? Well, I would liken it to, you know, um, the reason we go see a doctor, you know, it's because that doctor is a, is an expert in areas we aren't or why we go see an accountant. Um, you know, um, it's, it's because publishing is a whole world unto itself and you, you have a couple of choices, right? You can try to figure it out on your own. Or you can just work with somebody who's been in the industry, in my case, for over 20 years, and they can give you kind of a shortcut through through everything so that you can you can make progress more quickly. Um, so and you're right. I do work with writers on the craft of writing, um, but I also work with them on book proposals. Um, in fact, I'm just finishing up working with a group of nine writers in a new program I call Book Proposal Academy Elite. And um, basically, we're working on our book proposals together over six months. And we do two group calls. We do some one-on-one. And we did a live event here in Grand Rapids. And it's it's for them, I think it's been just the difference between not making much progress at all or making just a little bit of progress to, like, getting their proposals done and ready to shop. Um, so I think, I mean, if I was to boil down my response to your question, I would just say, um, the reason you work with a, a, a writing coach, a publishing coach, a platform coach, and I serve all of those roles is for results, you know, and I just I I want to help my clients get results. And uh, so that's that's how I'd answer that. Yeah. I, you know, when you go online and you start, like you were saying, on your own, trying to figure out this publishing process, one of the things I seem to come across a lot and I did early on is you're going to get told no a lot. So you might as well just get started, just start throwing query letters out there, start shopping. Uh, you know, you're just going to, the no's are going to pile up, right? Everybody has these stories. What's this famous Stephen King one of like putting a nail on the wall and just like stacking up the yes. nose. Yes. And you kind of get this sense that there's this like 
endless amount of people that can say no to you, but particularly in the Christian market, I find that there are not as many of those gatekeepers is maybe the wrong word, but editors or people that are saying yes or no, there's not as many of them as I thought. And one of the Mm -hmm. things I worried about early on is like, if I start getting a bunch of these no's, am I limiting the opportunities of people who can say yes? And is it better for me to move slower in that process, get coaching along the way and make sure that when I am making that initial ask, I'm in the best position possible um, that didn't feel like the common advice. The common advice was like, just as fast as you can start throwing stuff out there and piling up the nose. So you'll get to a yes. Um, but working with people like you feels like it's a better, more strategic way, particularly within kind of a niche market to move forward. Do you find that to be true? Yeah. I mean, a couple of thoughts there. One, like it's not the end of the world. If you go out and submit a bunch of, of inquiries and, and get declined, like that's not the end of your traditional publishing um, aspirations, I hope. I mean, you can do a lot of different – you can pivot and do a lot of different things at that point. Um, however, you never get a second – you never get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression. And so making sure that you are presenting to agents and publishers the most compelling package possible uh, is, I think, a really a really smart thing to do. It's kind of like – uh, it's kind of like you're sending a resume out to um, to potential employers. You know, you don't just do put at least at least I don't do, you know, and I don't think anybody who who really wants a job does kind of a slapdash uh, uh, job on their resume and their and their um, cover letter. You you know, you really put some time into that and and uh, and hope that what you've done is compelling enough to get you that that open door. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've been getting some no's. So you do still get the no's even after working with professionals. But I've noticed those no's are like no's with a conversation or no's with a, hey, uh-huh. I'd love to see this further down the road. or And I know yeah. that that's probably, it's the fact that they're seeing a level of professionalism in what's coming across. Like they can see the work. And I, I don't know if there's a way to that completely on your own, especially in my position where I'm not like hanging out with editors. I don't have friends that are published authors. Like I could figure out like, okay, here's the basics of what a query letter or proposal is, but the ability of somebody with experience to give individualized feedback on it, I think is just invaluable. And I think it's necessary. I don't think anyone should try to do that alone. You're just missing out on too much that could be better about it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the reason you're getting no, but, you know, let's have a conversation or let me see this is they really see potential in you, uh, not just professionalism, but potential. And and the reality is that most writers, you know, as long as they're 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 doing what they need to do to to develop great concepts, be good writers, develop a platform. Most writers have that kind of potential, but sometimes it really helps to um, to have someone kind of come alongside you and show you how to spotlight your own potential. Um, that's that's what's really helpful. It's not like the potential's not there, right? It's there, but sometimes you need help from somebody to go. Like just recently, I was working with somebody on their proposal, and they were. Um, they were it was the platform and marketing section of the proposal and they had various things in there about radio appearances and uh, some other things but as i got further down the section he he'd listed that he'd been published in these 
uh, I don't know if they were online magazines or physical magazines, but they had circulations in the tens of thousands. And I was like, okay, that's important. Let's move that up. Well, all I was doing, you know, he had that credential. All I had to do was show him like, let's spotlight that. Let's lead with that. That's really important. That shows that you're a writer and it shows you have some reach. Um, so that's the kind of work that I think is invaluable for writers. Yeah, a moment ago, you sort of rattled off uh, these three components I know you've talked with me about, too, that you think make up a a quality project or a a book project, a concept that's headed the right direction. Could you maybe go over what those three items are that you're looking for when you're considering um, what to do next with an author and where they may need to focus or work? Yeah. So uh, I talk about and, and, and sometimes in publishing, you'll you'll hear people refer to the three C's and the three C's are concept, craft and crowd. So concept is all about how strong is your concept? Is it meeting a need to, you know, do real people really have this need? Um, the, the, the crowd is, uh, your own audience. You know, publishers today are looking for authors who already have an audience and that's hard to hear sometimes. But the, the good news is it's never been easier, more accessible, less expensive to begin building your own audience. Um, and then craft is, you know, how good a writer are you? So those are the three, like, if you, if you were to ask me, what's, what is a, book proposal need to do. It needs to spotlight an author's strengths in those three areas. Uh, we've spent some time, quite a bit of time talking about craft. I think that's something that um, we I enjoy covering on the, on the podcast. There's a lot of information out there on platforms. So uh, I know you do coaching with that. We've talked quite a bit about that. But the one that I think is maybe doesn't get enough thought, especially it's probably the one that you come to as a writer, not initially recognizing the value of is concept. Um, maybe you could break that down a little bit more on what does it mean for a project to have a strong concept and why is that so important? Yeah, I'd love to. And I love this this topic um, because actually the, the, the little known secret is one of the ways that you can that you can sidestep uh, the need for platform or at least um, at least make platform a little less important is with a strong concept. Now, obviously, if you have a strong concept and a strong platform, now you're really in business. But uh, when it comes to concept, um, it starts with a need. What's what's the the real need that real people have uh, that you can address in a book? Um, so um, what is that? And then what? how is the way that you address that need distinctive from the way everybody else does? And when you get those two things Right. When you have uh, when your book is addressing a need that real people really have and you're doing it in a way that's unique and interesting, um, then you have a strong concept. So as an author who may be working on, let's say you're at the beginning, you're outlining a book, you've got some thoughts, maybe you've been writing a little bit, some of those sample chapters, maybe you're putting together a query letter or a proposal. How do you how do you evaluate your own concept? I think that can be a really difficult challenge to know. Like, of course, it sounds good to me. It's why I'm thinking about writing a whole book on it, or I'm really passionate about this topic. So of course, I find it interesting and everything around it interesting. But how do you know if what you have, is it just an idea? Is it the seed of an idea? Is it the actual concept? How do you how do you know whether your concept is good or not? Maybe that's the easiest way to ask it. Right. That's that's such a great question because I think I think writers, you know, even the word concept is kind of abstract and amorphous. How how do you go from that to actually 
getting to something that is concrete and that you can wrap an actual proposal, let alone a book around. And one thing I encourage writers to do is, is uh, to work with uh, working titles and subtitles. Um, uh, the way to make your uh, any given concept concrete is to give it a working title and subtitle. Um, so when you play with working titles and subtitles, you're playing with book concepts. Um, so I always encourage writers first, like get a really good sense of the need that your readers have. Do surveys, talk to people, talk to your to your uh, readership. If you have an email list, get some get some data, get some information about what people are really looking for. I, I find a great question to ask people is, what's your biggest challenge with, you know, fill in the blank? And people will tell you, they'll actually give you the language that you should be using to describe their problem, language that could end up in your in your 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 sales copy, if not your book title. Um, and then you start brainstorming those titles and subtitles. And by the way, this is what publishers do once they have a book under contract. You know, they start brainstorming. They don't necessarily go with the title that you put on your proposal, right? They start brainstorming titles and subtitles. So you can do that yourself. You don't have to wait for the for the publisher to do that. And then, you know, I always encourage writers try to narrow it down to Four, maybe five um, title, subtitle combinations. Of course, I'm talking about uh, nonfiction here mainly. Um, and then you go to your tribe and you say, hey, if you were going to purchase one of these books, which would it be? And that kind of can give you a sense of the strongest, uh, the strongest concept that you have. Well, part of why I think this conversation is so important is I think at every point of the writing process, I thought I had the concept only to go on and realize like it could be better. And uh, <laughs> most of the listeners will know I've been working on, well, this Samson project that's now a completed manuscript for, well, in reality, over two years now. And if you want to go back to some of the original ideas and thinking, really, we're moving up to three years. And I'm finally, we're shopping the proposal stage. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm still working on that concept. Like even as we evaluate the proposal, now I've done it a little out of order. Um, most of the time people will do the proposal and then wait to write the book under contract, but having even written the thing, I'm still trying to say to myself, okay, how do I best communicate this concept? And I would have said from the very beginning when it was like an outline on a piece of paper. And I said, I'm going to start working on this. I, I thought I had a concept, but that concept just continues to refine and continues to get stronger and continues to tweak in response from people like you or from uh, from editors we hear back from. Um, do you find mm -hmm. that to be true, that in my experience, the concept is one of the hardest parts of the entire writing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to have kind of a vague idea of a book that you want to write. It's another thing to find the hook, to uh, package it in a way that is really going to get people interested. And, uh, you know, the other thing that's important here, and you're, and you're getting at it with what you just said, Chase, and that is a willingness to be flexible. Some, sometimes just a little adjustment can make a huge, uh, difference. I'm working with a writer who uh, wants to write a book about hope. Now, now talk about a broad abstract concept that, you know, that doesn't really have any handles you can grab onto. Um, and what we came to eventually is what she's really good at is helping people do things um, like physically with crafts and uh, like sticky notes and other really practical ways of remembering ways that God has been faithful to you in the past. And so like so we're we're coming around. So we started with hope. And now we're getting closer to something that's really tangible and interesting and unique. 
um, for readers to do as a way of remembering uh, God's faithfulness. And, and that is the way to having hope. Um, but it took a while. You know, it took a while to, to, for that, um, for that distinctive idea to kind of rise up amidst all the material that she was working with. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I think, you know, the spirit hovered over the waters for, for a long time before creation happened, you know. So I, I, I just feel like uh, we, we need to be patient. We need to be flexible. We need to listen to those, our coaches and our readers around us and, um, you know, keep hovering until that idea emerges for us. I think that's really, really good advice. There's so much pressure to just write and publish fast that sometimes I just don't think we have the patience or take enough time for a good idea to become a great idea and really to understand what that idea is. And um, part of the challenge for me, I, I'm beginning to recognize is, you know, you, you at the very beginning said what got you interested in writing and books was your own reading. Um, yeah. These authors that meant something to you. I mean, obviously, C.S. Lewis, I mean, to have spent a significant portion of a year living and working and doing and volunteering all things C.S. Lewis. I know I have those authors for me that are a huge part of why I take writing seriously. And um, we talk a ton about Eugene Peterson on the podcast, because mm -hmm. the truth is, if Eugene Peterson said he was writing a book on hope, I would buy it along with thousands of other people. Like, I don't need any more of a hook. Like, the hook is Eugene Peterson wrote another book. I'm buying it. But I finally started to realize, although I walk to the shelf and pull off a book like Lewis or somebody and say, because it's meant so much to me, that's what I want to do. I want to write like that. I want to do something like that. The reality is C.S. Lewis is a concept in and of himself, anything he writes. I am not C.S. Lewis. <laughs> you know, as much as I may want to do that or write that or replicate that or have a craft like that, the truth is for somebody to pick up my book is going to take a concept, a hook that has to be more than just what C.S. Lewis would have to put forward to write his next book if he could. Um, that was a big right. turning point for me because I realized, okay, the th my first book has to be somewhat different than the books that I love because I love those books because of that author having spent an entire career investing in that trust with readers. Um, mm. Is that why and why is it so important for mm. new authors, new writers to really understand a concept, even more so than maybe advanced writers who are doing their 20, 30, 40th book? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, inside, uh, you know, inside pub boards, whether they use this language or not, we all knew and, and they all know that there are name driven uh, books and there are need driven books. And the difference is really simple. The name driven books are attached to authors who already have a profile, who already have a following, who already have an audience, uh, authors like Eugene Peterson and C.S. Lewis. So uh, so when you are a new author, you, you, you're not going to write a name-driven book unless you have a blog that has a readership in the millions and this, you just haven't happened to write a book yet. Um, uh, you know, so, so that's why concepts, need-driven book ideas uh, become so important for, for new authors. And then eventually, hopefully, you know, you will gather a following and you won't, you know, you, you will be able to um, to kind of cash in on some of the equity that you've built up with your readers so that, you know, when Chase gets, Chase Replogal gets a new book out there, you know, people just want it because of that. Uh, but especially in the beginning, um, you've, you've got to find ways of capturing people's interest and your name alone, unfortunately, uh, it typically doesn't do that.
Yeah, that was a big distinction for me because it takes a certain amount of humility to recognize, okay, I'm not that thing that inspires me. So the path right now is going to be different because my gut wants to say like, oh, that maybe that's not the kind of writer I want to be or the kind of concept. But you start to realize, well, that's how all of us get to that point. That's how we all do something to sort of build up that audience, to build up those readers. And there has to be a starting point to introduce who you are and what you're doing to them. I, I think that distinction is really, really helpful and something you sort of have to come to terms with early on. Um, how does that book concept play out in a proposal and even in the other yeah i want to go even more broad than the proposal even in the way that you're sort of pitching yourself as a writer the way you may be seeking agents with inquiries how does that concept need to relate to you as a writer um to use maybe the word your brand or who you are how do those things fit together as well yeah i always refer to the the frederick beekner quote the place god's calling you to is the place where you're deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So your book should be something that you are deeply glad to write, something that you are passionate about. And it should be intersecting with the world's deep hunger. So um, so that's what you're looking for. That's your sweet spot. And by the way, that's also where your tribe is. Uh, if you can find that intersection between your passion and the world's you know, pain, the world's hunger, um, then then you're on to something. Um, when it comes to the proposal, uh, you know, you have to put a title and subtitle on the cover page. So that's the, you know, that's that's got to be your lead title and subtitle. But then I always encourage writers on the reverse side of that cover page, offer some alternative titles, not too many because you don't you don't want to overwhelm the reviewer. You don't want it to feel like you don't really know what you're writing, but you can include three to five alternative titles and subtitles on that on that. And it just shows different ways of positioning your book in the marketplace. Um, so there's a there's a few. T- Another way to get across um, things that are distinctive about your concept is to include a competitive analysis or a comparative analysis where you list other books that are in the same family as your book. But then you show you so you list the books. Let's say it's five books. These are books that are in some way similar to mine. But here's how mine is unique from those. And um, that does two things. It says, look, uh, the need I'm meeting uh, is it does exist because there are other books that are meeting that same need. And that's that's really helpful for publishers to know. And the other thing is it's doing is saying, here's how my book is different. So it's in this same you know, it's in this same ecosystem as these other books, but this is how it's unique. Um, so there's a few thoughts. Yeah, of all the the book proposals you've had across your desk, which is thousands, I'm assuming. Um, right. And now as you're coaching, you're seeing these projects, um, I'm asking for a, a rough percentage. How many of them, in your opinion, do you think could have a stronger concept or could have that concept presented more strongly? Um, I haven't met a book proposal yet that couldn't use some strengthening at the conceptual level. And again, that just has to do with the fact that, um, you know, publishing pros have, have been at this a while in most cases. And so they know when they see a concept, they know, uh, they at least have some ideas about how to, how to strengthen it. Um, so, um, you know, there there are a few cases where I can I can think back and, you know, that title was so good uh, that we just didn't mess with it much. But that that is um, that's very rare. 
Yeah, I think it makes the case well for um, the value of a, a traditional team, a publishing team around you with that experience. And I think you're also articulating the value of working with someone like you as a coach, that no matter how strong we can get that concept on our own, that outside perspective, I think, just continues to be more and more valuable through the process. Um, now, I know in addition to the coaching that you offer, um, which maybe you could take a second also to talk about what that might look like if somebody wanted to engage with you as a coach to work on things like concept or platform. Um, give us a little bit of explanation of what that coaching service looks like. But then I know you also have some resources and tools for people that may not even be ready for that coaching step, but can begin to use some of your tools, some of your writing to work on things like uh, concept for a book. So maybe uh, explain some of those resources available to people. I'd be happy to. So my one-on-one coaching program is it's a we. So first of all, I, I asked them to fill out a pretty lengthy survey, and you know this, Chase, because you've done it. Uh, and then we we establish some goals, and typically there's a goal related to writing, and there's a goal related to platform, and we start working together. So every month I'm on a call with with my clients, uh, kind of hashing it through in a live video call. Um, and then every Monday I send them an email checking in. How are you doing? You know, what are those? And it's a, it's an accountability thing. Um, and then every month I send them a book that I think they should be reading along with my comments about why I think they should be reading it. And I record all our conversations and they get those, those replays and they can play them anytime. So that's kind of the, and then they get complimentary access to all my courses and, and the membership site. Um, but there's a there's a lot of free content on my blog. If you just type book proposal into chadrallen.com, you're going to get a lot of free free content there. Um, I do have a membership site that's quite a bit less expensive than one-on-one coaching. That's called Bookcamp, um, and that's where I I you know there's a whole library of trainings on everything from. Uh, concept development to navigating the publishing industry to improving your writing skills to building a platform. And I do a, a monthly group call where I present some training and then open it up for questions. You can ask anything you want. Um, and, um, and so that's, uh, that's another option for people. So there's a few of the resources that I provide. Yeah, I think those are really helpful. I've valued, been uh, found value in them myself, and so we'll make sure there are links in the show notes for them as well too. But um, if you could leave sort of uh, maybe one last sort of motivational answer to a question, um, I know this can be a struggle, right? Like there's so much to learn. There's so much that feels like you you think you have a handle on it, and then you discover, nope, it needs to be reworked or it could be better. Um, for those who may be in that process right now of just trying to figure this out, trying to figure out how to have a stronger concept and have a platform and make sure that they're growing as a writer and that the writing craft is good and trying to make sure that they're publishing on a blog and there can be so much going on right um when you're coaching people through that process those feelings of maybe overwhelm or self-doubt through the concept um what's some encouragement or advice you would say that would just help people continue that process give themselves to it and just be faithful to that work one of the things that i i love telling writers is every step matters um you know if you spend 15 minutes today on your writing that really matters and i'm not kidding like like every step every little bit of effort you make every investment of time and energy relationship building every one of those step matters and and it's when you keep putting those steps one after another in place that eventually you get a box in the mail and it's full of a book that you wrote that a publisher published 
but you don't get there if you don't put in the time. You know, I refer to the BIC method, but in chair, you know, <laughs> now they're stand up desk so we can stand up and type, which is great. But the, the, the idea is the same that we've got to put in the time. Um, but you know, I think it's also really important, Chase, to celebrate the victories. If you, if every day this week you put in your writing time, celebrate that. You know, and yes, your celebrations should be proportionate to the goal that you just checked off your list. If you if you did your writing every day for a quarter, well, now it's time to celebrate a little bigger. Um, it's when we celebrate that we're adding to the momentum we have in in continuing this uh, on this journey that we all that we're all on as writers. Um, so every step matters. Celebrate your wins and do those regularly and eventually you'll get there. Yeah, I think it's good advice. I'll often say um I think the one of the biggest lessons is learning to love the process and mm-hmm. learning to enjoy seeing things get better. I think that's we all have the end goal in mind, but boy, when you can see that concept take another step or when you run through uh, a full edit and you see the work getting better, there's a deep joy in just knowing that that progress things are moving forward. Um, I love that. Yeah, thanks, Chad. Well, it's it's uh, it's been a pleasure. I think a lot of the work you're doing, and I appreciate it, and I know this will be really helpful to others. So, again, one more time, um, where's the best place for people to be able to follow you, keep up with the work you're doing? Yeah, my blog, chadrallen.com. Great, and we'll have links to it in the show notes again. So, well, Chad, thanks for joining us on the show today, and uh, here's to us all getting our concepts, our hooks a little bit stronger in the future. Thank you, Chase. It's been a lot of fun. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 81. There you'll be able to find a link to Chad's website, as well as a link to the resource that he offered in this episode that he's giving away on how to strengthen your concept or your hook for a writing project. I think that one's definitely worth taking a look at. Again, I just wanted to say thanks to those who have taken the time to rate and review the Pastor Writer podcast. It really means a lot to me, and the feedback is a big help in, in me continually improving the podcast. If you haven't had a chance, I would really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to me if you would subscribe to the show and leave a rating or a review. It really does make all the difference in the world. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.